because the family members hanging out with you today for Memorial Day are just not cool enough. This is MuggleCast episode 41 for May 28, 2006. See why GoDaddy.com is the number one domain registrar worldwide. Now with your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N, as if you didn't know by now, when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $6.95 a year. Get your piece of the internet today at GoDaddy.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to MuggleCast. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Kevin Steck. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And this is the show where we bring you the latest in Harry Potter news, theories, discussions, and oh, so much more by sticking a little additive in your ears to keep you coming back for more and more. Before we do anything else, first let's check in with Micah Tannenbaum for the past week's top Harry Potter news stories. This is North Scotland is published in order of the Phoenix filming update this morning. According to the article, film crews have arrived in the West Highlands, Glen Finnan, Glen Coe, and Glenny Tide. The article goes on to say that filming for Hagrid's Hut has been done with a computer-equipped helicopter to bring new light to the hut. You can read more information about this over on MuggleNet.com. And Dan Radcliffe turned 17 on July 23rd. He's requested in a letter to his fans that instead of sending presents, you can simply make a donation to the Demelza House. Miranda Richardson, Rita Skeeter in the fourth Harry Potter movie, recently did an interview with The Independent. In it, she discusses how she portrayed the role and the fan reaction after her appearance in Goblet of Fire. She loved playing the tabloid journalist Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. She combined elements of the Vivian Westwood of yesteryear with someone like Liz Smith, gossip columnist for the New York Post. Kids are very generous. I got some really sweet letters saying, you're exactly how I thought you would be. So I was very relieved about that. She says. And while on her visit to India, Bloomsbury co-founder Liz Calder said in an interview that she suspects the final Harry Potter book will be released in 2007. Finally, Helen McCrory will no longer play the part of Bellatrix Lestrange in the fifth Harry Potter movie, as she is currently pregnant and will be heavily so by the time they film the ministry scenes. She is set to be replaced by Helena Bonham Carter. Helena played the part of Charlie's mother in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Apple Brook, who's appeared in stage, TV, and film productions for more than 25 years, will portray Care Magical Creature Substitute Teacher, Professor Grubbly Plank. The younger versions of Sirius Lupin and Snape, who all appear in Snape's worst memory, will be played by James Walters, James Utechin, and Alec Hopkins, respectively. Also, James Piper will play the part of Bane the Centaur. Whether or not he'll simply lend his voice for the role, we don't know yet. That's all the news for this May 28th, 2006 edition of MuggleCats. Back to the show. All right, thank you, Micah. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, guys, I'm so excited. This Friday is the big day. <laughs> What's that? Everyone forget? <gasps> He's getting married. Yeah, well, that too, but also, this Friday, June 2nd, is National Wear Your MuggleCast T-Shirt Day. What does that mean? That means everyone who has purchased a MuggleCast T-Shirt to date will wear it out and about. Take a picture of themselves wearing it, sending it in to us, and then the we'll randomly select five people who send in their pictures and send send them a sweet new Lumos 2006 T-shirt that is awesome, and no one else has seen yet. And we're all going to be wearing our shirts, right? Of course. Oh, and of course. Taking Absolutely. a picture of ourselves wearing them in public. Mike yeah. is going to be out sure in I will. Times Square taking a picture of himself. Andrew, Absolutely. You know, you know I don't go into public. <laughs> <laughs> not in not I'm in a, sunlight I'm anyway. Exclusive, you know. I I just sit in my house crying the day away. <laughs> Force yourself. Well, this can be a one-time only 
Just run, okay. yeah, run out in the street. All your fans are going to come out just to see you. <laughs> I yeah. think that would be a reason for me to uh, stay indoors as well. Yeah. But, no. <laughs> stoop, kids, if you believe the stoop. So no one forget to do that. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to we're going to be taking over the world in just one single day. So don't forget to purchase a MogoCast t-shirt. It's too late to get it for National Wear Your MogoCast t-shirt day, but it's never too late to look cool. Ding. Um, and just one final note. Last week, oh boy, I messed up big time. I uh, accidentally spoiled the OC finale for our foreign listeners. Oh yeah, I got and a couple. Oh no! I got a couple angry fans. Yeah. Wait, ooh, wait on the voicemail. Marissa. No, not on voicemails, but oh. they sent me emails directly saying. <laughs> Tell Andrew and Ben to stop spoiling the OC finale yeah, I, because we're very upset. We got a ton of emails. Like I got a ton of emails too. It's I'm re- I'm I'm sincerely sorry for doing that. I know I would be upset if I got it spoiled for me too. Um, so so we for the first time we had fans listening to MuggleCast crying because they were actually sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. What 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 Andrew's failing to mention is that uh, several people sent uh, knives and letter bombs to Ben in the via the PO box, and, <laughs> and, and, and therefore that's why he's not on this week, which he has he's, not he's... gotten to yet. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> thankfully. All right. So he'll he'll have a surprise waiting. For so we'll just have Laura open all the uh, mail for us. <laughs> She's not Thanks. a sacrifice, Kevin, <laughs> for the millionth time. I'm sorry, I, I forget. <laughs> yeah, so sorry about that, everyone, and I've learned my lesson. <laughs> so, uh, all right, this week's listener rebuttals, we got a lot of them. She writes, she writes to us concerning swearing in the books. She says, quote, Hey guys, Jackie K here. I'm new to MuggleCast, but I love it. Awesome job. Anyway, I just have a quick comment about the swearing topic from episode 40. I read, like, all the time, so I have to say, when it comes to swearing in books, especially those for people 12 and older, the book almost needs it, or it sounds too childish. So I think that when it comes to swearing in books, for emphasis, it makes the book better in some ways. Like, if you took out Ron's little catchphrase, bloody hell, for example, it just wouldn't be the same. You almost have to have some appropriate swearing in the books, otherwise they just aren't as good. Eric, you never got your say in this last week. What do you think? I would agree with this, I think, but at the same time, it's like, uh, yeah, J.K.R. is not the kind of author who's going to swear just to swear. And, I mean, her characters may swear just, you know, to show they grow up or whatever, but it's not in excess. It's not, there's not too much swearing in the books. And I think what it is, it's just a symbol of the, uh, you know, them growing up and them being able to use dialogue more lucratively. Right. That's a word, right? Lucratively? Yeah. I think so. Okay, cool. Our next Inventing words here on Muggle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our next rebuttal comes from Nikki, 25 of Ohio. She writes concerning last week's Give Me a Butterbeer. I just wanted to let everybody know that not all Christian parents are against Harry Potter. I'm a 25-year-old stay-at-home mom of two toddlers. I'm also very involved in my church, and I'm a huge fan of HP. I've often said that I can't wait for my toddlers to be old enough to read Harry Potter. I think that people who are trying to ban the books for religious reasons is an insult to my intelligence and my faith. I find Harry Potter a heartbreaking, albeit fiction story of a young boy overcoming evil knowing it's the harder road and that he and his loved ones could die in the process. Also, I think it's a good example of character and growth for young kids who may go the wayward path due to peer pressure, even for Christian kids. I wanted to thank you for doing this segment. I loved it. You're welcome. We caused a little <laughs> bit of controversy last week with this Butterbeer segment. I don't think anyone meant to imply that all Christians are against Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, not I mean, all. there's always going to be people out there that are 
more fanatical. That take things to the extreme. Than, exactly. Although fanatical, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say fanatical. I mean, it's it's their own faith and they choose how to follow it. But, you know, there are some people who do take things very seriously and others that are, you know, somewhat normal maybe. <laughs> then don't read it. Right. No well, yes, but I, I think, yeah, but I think the people, I think, at least I noticed in my email box, there were people upset thinking that we were trying to stereotype <laughs> all Christians, which is not the case. Exactly. And like Kevin said last week, he is Christian, and so am I, and... Catholic. Or Catholic, yes. and so am I, so... And am I. That, that's another thing. I got a lot of emails about my comments on the Da Vinci Code. And I do have to say that not everyone in the Catholic Church is um, is supportive of the Da Vinci Code. No, not at all. And it's much like Harry Potter where you have a separation. Right. But you know what's happening so. with that. The Vatican is now saying that they were forced to uh, speak out against the movie. Uh, they're seeing that the movie now is a lot less controversial than the book, which is my opinion. Um, but now they're saying that they were forced for like a media ploy to actually speak out against it, and really they felt the movie was dull and tiring. It's it actually been, wasn't that great of a movie. I don't know. I, I found it compelling. It wasn't all that great. But I don't know. It, but it's, it seems like by admitting to participating in this marketing ploy, they're also admitting to just like trying to wave the public into like seeing the movie or something like that, like manipulating yeah, and I think the the whole point of both Harry Potter and um, the Da Vinci Code when they have religious implications is that you have to realize that it's fiction when you're reading it. But also um, to, not everyone's know. going to enjoy it because some people believe it questions their faith and other things such as that, but it is fiction, and so long as you realize that, it's not a big deal. And there are books that are meant to question faith, and there are ones that do it anyway. You know, even if they aren't, like, intended to. Like, Da Vinci Code would seem oh, like it was obviously more, you know, into it. But that's just something like that. Right. So. All right, next rebuttal. Christian17 of Norway, he writes, I hate the Norwegian translations. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. However, I don't think the translations are bad. <laughs> it's just that I started reading the British versions of Harry Potter before the release of Book 3, and I really liked them in English. I didn't read the Norwegian version until I was done with the British book number four. However, I dare say I can pinpoint what is wrong with the Norwegian translation. It is translated as a children's book. At the early books, the translators must have thought, oh, what a cute book for children, not considering the possibility that it might become something else later in the series. They've translated most of the names, apart from Harry Potter, of course, where I don't think the names really need to be translated, and in my opinion, the translation is in general quite childish. However, children in Norway love the Norwegian translations, and I'm sure many grown-ups do as well. This is what they are used to. This is what they are getting. All the hardcore Harry Potter fans I know read the British version of the books anyway, so as long as everyone else can get what they want. That's, That's really okay. a shame that uh, the it's something as simple as the names get translated to something childish, although I'm not sure exactly how they Christian get. Is. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, I mean, I don't see why they would try translating the names if there's not an equivalent just keep the name the same. Yeah. I mean, names, the whole concept Which of they a do name. Often. I, yeah, I mean, it's a proper noun, so it's not as though it's different from language to language. You can call me Kevin in whatever language you want to, you know, 
call me Kevin in and it will still mean the same thing. It's not like right. you're translating the meaning of a word. Hey, Kevin. Yes. I just addressed you in Thai. Exactly. Oh, except they wouldn't say K. They would. <laughs> no, they wouldn't say hey. Never mind. Whatever. <laughs> Another translation rebuttal comes from Trisha, 13, of California. She writes, A lot of names are different to make them sound more French, but I think that the kids who read them understand that the books are English. For example, the title of the first book is literally Harry Potter at the Wizard's School. <laughs> I think some translators could do a better job than that. I mean, it relates to the book, but... <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty bad. I mean, yeah. if, if if you go to uh, France and you say, hey, I'm looking for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, they're going to be like, what? I think American influence would probably make them realize what it is you're talking about. But at the same time, you're right. And these kind of translations, um, you know, to either more childish terms or less descriptive terms, as the Norwegian man was saying, or just things like Harry Potter at the Wizard's School – it's all about, you know, who translates and things, and, like, the Norwegian man came up as, you know, a solution if you understand English uh, to, to read the British books. I mean, that's really the mother language. I brought the British books not because I wasn't content with the U.S. books, but because I wanted to read exactly what J.K.R. wrote or what exactly, you know, what got into the British versions of the books. I just felt it was more pure no matter, you know, if it was still in English in the U.S. or not. Maybe I'm weird. And one last translation-related rebuttal comes from John of Georgia. Shout-out to Laura. Hey, guys, on the last episode, Laura mentioned that in the first Spanish translation of Prisoner of Azkaban that they used the word lunatico in place of Mooney. I don't speak Spanish, but I was curious and decided to look up the term. While the direct translation of the word is indeed lunatic, I found a description of the word's etymology. It was written in Spanish on the website, but I managed to translate it. Lunatico... I like saying that. Re- refers to someone that suffers from madness in intervals, which is, which is to say, not all the time. The word lunatico comes from the Latin lunicatus, lunicatus. And, is related, and is related to the phases of the moon. In the time of the Romans, they noticed that certain crimes, suicides, and mad behavior were more frequent during the nights of the full moon. I imagine that these things were more noticeable at the time when the lunar calendar was still in use before the reign of Julius or Julius Caesar. Julius. <laughs> you know, I feel I feel very put to shame because I am... Wait, hold on, wait. Oh, okay. Yet. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can feel so, put to shame in a minute. He's been bottling up. <laughs> bottling up so, the shame. He's not done so yet. Actually, so actually, the name Lunatico makes a lot of sense since Lupin was prone to mad behavior in intervals and during nights when there was a full moon. You know... Now you can... <laughs> I can feel put to shame. I feel... Put to shame because I am semi-proficient in Spanish, and um, I went all over the internet trying to find some sort of translation for Lunatico, and I couldn't find anything, so I just sort of came to the assumption that it was kind of a nonsense word, like Mooney is in English. So thank you for pointing that out to me, and I'm going to go cry in my corner now. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling put to shame. We'll see if you are. All right, that does it for this week's rebuttals. Well, ladies and gentlemen, moving along right now, it was one year ago today, Sunday, May 28th, that the idea for MuggleCast, I'm going to cry, was spawned. It was brought up in our staff forums by our very own Sarah, who is an editor at the MuggleNet editorial section, which is absolutely fantastic, and um, she had seen a segment 
on podcasting on her local news station, and after hearing about it, thought it'd be a good idea for a MuggleNet show, so she brought it up in our staff forums, and um, from there, <laughs> it was all downhill from there. <laughs> about five no, weeks later, was... when somebody noticed her topic... <laughs> <laughs> now, to be honest, when when I first saw that brought up and I read what she was saying about, it, I got all excited, as as all of you can check back in the staff forums and read because I had. Now we're gonna have people to looking for the staff forums. We're gonna forums dot com. Well, I I had originally been into podcasting even before this was brought up uh, because I. Listen to this. Week oh yeah, tech, both of us were on the screensavers. Yeah, and then um, it, we were throwing the idea around for Mungrycast for a good month and a half, and people were trying to get on. Laura, do you want to explain your story because this is pretty amazing? <laughs> yeah, originally I was supposed to be on the pilot episode of Mugglecast, and that I we never intended of releasing. Yeah, and I remember it wasn't even. I don't even think it was this crew of people that were going to be on originally. Oh no, definitely not. I wasn't going and to be on originally. Not even Kevin. I'm not. I don't even think Ben was. Ben originally wanted to just listen in. He didn't. Yeah, want to I remember he that. To... It was gonna yeah. be like me, you, Jess, Kieran, and some other. people. We were all shy at the time. You never realized <laughs> it. And Tom, I think. The whole, and I the remember whole recording voice thing was new to us. <laughs> yeah. I go into the staff forum and I see Andrew makes his post and he's like, uh, "Just be on between 6 p.m. and midnight, and we'll do it sometime between then." And I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> that sounds good." And that so I familiar. sat there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like how it goes now. So I sat there for like hours waiting for this thing to happen, and I didn't hear anything. And the next day I go in and look, and Andrew's like, uh, the audio equipment didn't work, so we didn't do it. And I was like, okay, okay, we'll see how this goes. And so we actually need equipment. Yeah, <laughs> and so I figure, I figure, you know, within the next couple of weeks, there's going to be another post in the staff forum, or someone's going to IM everybody, or send oh. out an email. I never see anything. And then one day this post comes up in the staff forums, and it's like, it's done. Me, Ben, and Kevin did it. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I got so mad. And all I did was just complain and whine and moan for for weeks on end until they let me on. And you know what was I funny about up. that? It was me, it was Andrew, Ben, and I, we were, what, we were chatting online in the middle of the night. It was probably like, what, two o'clock in the morning? And I don't remember this at all. <laughs> we just decided to record out of nowhere. We're just like, hey, we should just record this. Get it and over we with. Did. Yep. Yeah. So um, it's your fault. It is my yeah. fault. I blame you. Okay. You should blame me. <laughs> and here's another Everyone secret. blame me for all the uh, misgivings in for, MuggleCast. For the existence of <laughs> MuggleCast? <laughs> yeah. Ben and I... Oh, you, Kevin. We're kind of kicking ourselves now. Ben and I were trying to find the original MuggleCast files from the first episode because it took us about ten minutes just to get past the introduction. It was <laughs> it, It's true. And I kept trying to do yeah. it, and we just... Didn't know how to start it off, and then Ben finally got it, so that's why he sort of hosted that that first episode. Kevin, I don't, I never asked you. You don't have those files, do you? Um, I could look. Well, go ahead and look. That would that would be really rat. cool to have those. I mean, I'm pretty sure Ben recorded it, but he had to reformat his computer and. Lost when it comes to so. files, so anyway, I keep many. Yeah, <laughs> and the original idea for the podcast was to provide news updates. For the listeners, and it was only going to last like 20, 30 minutes. It's just going to be like, here's the latest news. <laughs> was that, that was an it. impersonation and of yes. himself? Yeah. That was my <laughs> yeah. that was my news impersonation before Micah. 
Micah, you're only on the MuggleNet staff because of uh, MuggleCast. Yeah, yeah, he started right. harassing me. Kevin. Yeah. Do you remember how you got on? Yeah. <laughs> it's all due to Kevin, actually. We were sending emails back and forth to each other, I think, after the first episode came out, trying to come up with ideas for how to make the show better or just to make some changes. And do you remember that one day, Andrew, you and I just went back and forth trying to – we were working on some kind of intro or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because – you didn't want to do news at first. What you wanted to intro the show with your, um, you had like a little summary you were going to do before each uh, episode, um, and then that just didn't really work out. So I said, um, "How about how about you start doing the news? Is that right?" Something like that. I think I first said to you, "Well, something about transcripts." I don't know why the hell I asked you about that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Ladies and gentlemen, this presents Micah's undoing. <laughs> exactly. No, I think the transcripts came first, and then a week or two later, you're like, do you want to do the news? And I said, yeah, sure. And went from there. And here we are, 41 episodes later. You know, um, I was looking through this one of the threads in the MuggleCast staff forum that doesn't exist <laughs> anymore, but um, there was one thread for name ideas. And I thought it'd be fun if we uh, mentioned a couple oh, of the names yeah, here. I remember oh, yeah. that. Um, I don't remember what order exactly they went in. I have them written <laughs> down here. But um, Ben suggested two, and hopefully we're not saying these and everyone's going to be like, Whoa, I love that name. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you use it? <laughs> Your current name is um, stupid compared to that name. T- two of the names Ben suggested was the Wizarding Wire and Wizarding Wireless. And... Wizarding Wireless sort of went down the chute because it sounded too much like like a mobile phone. Yeah, especially thing. with yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know why <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Wizarding Wireless. Yeah, it does. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> and then I had brought up the idea of MuggleCast, and some people, not everyone liked it at first, and not, I don't know. If yeah, I remember that you you were like, like polling it. people to see if they actually liked it. Yeah, but and it's sort of because people on. thought it didn't. Yeah, and people didn't think it rolled off the tongue easily. Um, I don't know. I've now it does. It's a common it. name. Yeah. Now it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here's another one that would have been problematic. Uh, Pottercast. P-O-D-D-E-R-C-A-S-T. That was suggested by Ben. And then then it got worse. Sarah suggested iPottercast. P-O-T-T-E-R. And then just Pottercast. <laughs> and that would have been a problem. Yes, it would have. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since someone bought the do- domain far, yeah, yeah. far in advance. <laughs> we would have looked for it and went, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> There's another show called Pottercast. Uh, that's what I hear. Yeah. Maybe yeah. That's the rumor around the... Yeah, on the so. wire. We should, yeah. give, we should do a search for it. Have a listen. Do a what? You do don't a search for it. Any more hits? Have a listen. <laughs> 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 All right. How about iPottercast? Yeah. So, so, so there you go. August seventh, two thousand five, was the first episode. It took us. We we sort of were killing time. We weren't really rushing to put out the first episode because we were we were all really unsure of it. We didn't know how it was going to work. But like I said. I just want to take a second to thank Sarah for originally suggesting the idea. And once we got into it and started planning it, she was so happy for us. And she was, she kept saying to us, I'm so sure this is going to take off. This is going to be a big hit. And sure enough, she was right, and it did. So thanks, Sarah. We had uh, we had her on a few weeks ago for an editorial segment, yep. right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yep. And no Although one would have known that she was the now. godmother of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> she really is. The godmother. She really is. Kevin. Yes. I just addressed you in Swahili. <laughs> oh. <okay. laughs> All right. So let's move on to chapter by chapter. This week, chapter 15 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Wizarding School, if you live in France, titled Forbidden Forest. Chapter 15, the Forbidden Forest, starts off with, I guess, um, Harry and Hermione and Neville and Draco in McGonagall's office. Is that correct? Did yes. You guys? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're getting punished for the whole uh, Norbert event. Um, It turns out that Neville heard that Draco was going to try and see Harry off, get him in trouble. And basically the four of them were all out of bed, and they all got a lot of points lost for Gryffindor and for detentions. Now, in the aftermath of Norbert's events, uh, or those events, Harry's really disliked, like, all the Gryffindors suddenly hate him. It says something about him going from being the most liked person in Gryffindor to one of the most hated. Um, in fact, his own Quidditch team refers to him uh, during conversations in third person as the Seeker. And this kind of reminded me of the Dursleys who used to refer to him as the boy right right to his face. So once again, we find that he's, you know, he's being referred to in the third person. That's kind of it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, not interesting. It's just it's demeaning. Just kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of sucks. So, because of all this this stuff, um, Harry's resigned himself not to poking around. He he's like, you know, I'm just simply not going to do any poking around because it doesn't do us any good. Now, that isn't really how things happen in the future. When he gets in trouble, he's never like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. It kind of just empowers him. So, like, you guys think that maybe something changed that? Because he's all he's he like vows to himself never to poke around again, but that doesn't really ever happen. Well, I think he comes to realize that there's something very different and special about him, in the fact that he has Voldemort constantly after him, and he knows that he has to defeat him. So I think it's more of a responsibility that he feels, kind of an obligation. Yeah, definitely. I was gonna say I don't think he can hold back. Yeah, can hardly help himself. Um, here's something y'all you should y'all should enjoy talking about at least. Um, Hagrid says, "Nothing in this forest will hurt you if you're with me and Fang." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Fang's yeah. a wimp. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, as long as uh, yeah, sure, just mention Hagrid's name, yeah. and that's a uh, you're not gonna get eaten by the giant spider, or, or you know, get attacked by <laughs> or it's Voldemort uh, himself, or, or it's a. Uh, a hundred children's, yeah. One question I wanted to bring up here was, wh- what goes on with choosing a detention? And did Dumbledore know about this? Like, he he insists in the beginning that the for- Forbidden Forest is strictly off-limits. So why? Why, why, why can Hagrid just take him out there for detention? It's a brilliant question, considering what yeah, happened. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of people wondered that. I know before, like, book four and five, a lot of people were wondering um, exactly why they would bring the kids into, like, this incredibly dangerous place. Yeah, and and not to mention that Dumbledore doesn't give Hagrid any flack about it. At least we don't see any. No. Well, the thing is also, considering the outcome and considering what it does for the plot, uh, you know, Ferenz later on in the forest, during, you know, at the end of the det- detention, goes and, you know, pretty much tells Harry that it's Voldemort trying to seek the stone. And, you know, this whole final puzzle piece comes right into play. And it's interesting to wonder if Dumbledore knew or could prevent their detention because 
if he did know about it, he certainly chose not to, and it seems like that was a smart idea. Like, if if he knew what was going to happen, and then, you know, because that allowed everything to fall into place, and, and Harry was able to then, you know, worry for Quirrell and, and pay closer attention, and the trio were able to do the things they did. That's a pretty big risk to take. I know, it's like, yeah. hey, it, let's, let's... But is uh, it? Yeah, but at this... It is a big risk because at the time Dumbledore didn't know about the prophecy, so he did know that if he's giving Voldemort the opportunity to get to Harry, then of course it's a risk. I mean, knowing that Voldemort is the only person who can kill Harry, and Harry, so you're yeah. basically saying, "Hey, Harry, your first year, you have no skills to defend yourself, and yet, hey, go into the forest and hope well, that's Voldemort right. doesn't." And I, I don't, I, I don't. I don't quite agree with, you know, that kind of logic, and I, you know, that that makes sense that he wouldn't, you know, do that. But at the same time, at the end of the year, Dumbledore admitted to thinking that Harry should have a right to face Voldemort, you know, you know himself, and that and that kind of thing. Like, I don't like the idea of Dumbledore necessarily just leaving Harry alone, but he was protected by friends. We saw. Um, and it, it's not to say Dumbledore said, yo, friends, go disobey your own, you know, culture and, and, and go save this boy for me while, while I let him out there to die. You know, it, I, I don't think that happened. But at the same time, like, what did happen is he was protected, and I, I re- I'm not against the idea that Dumbledore may have known what was going to happen or may have let the detention take place. Well, I don't think it's – I don't only think it's that. I think it's – we've seen, like, throughout the books that Dumbledore – has tried not to shelter Harry too much. And I think mm-hmm. that hmm. Dumbledore is sort of going on faith that he'll, you know what I mean? Like what happens, happens kind of thing. I don't know. Because he kind of, he really hasn't tried to shelter Harry all that much. If you noticed, he let Harry get into some pretty sticky situations. Yeah, he has. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the question is also, too, could Voldemort have even killed Harry in that kind I of state? So, I believe so, I mean, absolutely. if you think about it, well, I don't know. The the centaur, you know, uh, what was it, Ronan or, or Bane or somebody, just jumped over Harry and kind of charged at it, and it flew away, yeah. like Voldemort thing just, I mean, just flew, to, flew away. And, I mean, a centaur is obviously more powerful than a child, but Voldemort in his weakened state probably could have, you know... Attacked Harry, but I don't know if it could have killed him before help couldn't have arrived. Oh, I think he could have well, killed him, though. I, mean, I don't know. Voldemort in his weakened state killed plenty of other people. He that, killed that Frank Bryce. Later. I think the question is, is that... that I think sense. the question... But still, he was still weakened. I think the question we should be asking ourselves is, could Harry have defended no. himself? Because although Harry seemed weak, he has been known to cast magic without... You know, mm. actually meaning to, in de- like you know, winding up on the school roofs. Exactly, in defense of mm-hmm. himself. So you wonder if a fluke would have happened. Just you know what I mean? Maybe he would have. Yeah, possibly. Maybe he would have caught another updraft. Exactly. <laughs> in this just situation, found himself on top of the off, He was yeah. caught so off guard, and he he was nervous this time around. And like in situations like, um, what what was your example you just said, Eric? When he went to trace af- chase after Draco. The school, yeah. Well, since we did go a little bit ahead in the notes here, it's important to point out the other aspect of what we're talking about, at least with with Voldemort and Harry, is that this first time, or or rather this this meeting between Harry and Voldyquirrel has triggered Harry's scar hurting for the very first time 
his scar itself as as a single entity, just his scar, burns like fire. Oh, I didn't really notice that. You're right. Yeah. It's it's from then on. It, it serves, you know, and we know throughout the series that it later, you know, serves as like a warning beacon and that kind of thing. But before their first meeting, it was like an unactive, you know, entity. So do you guys think this proves or disproves the Horcrux theory since, you, like, his scar being Horcrux? Because it only started, like, taking effect or doing something in the presence of Voldemort. Or maybe that reinforces it. But the question is, would he have had weird, strange dreams or that kind of thing earlier in his life? Would his scar have well, done I think things the, separately? I think the actual pain he feels in his scar was explained by the – how do you pronounce it? Acclumency? 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 Acclumency. Yeah. I mean I think that's that's essentially has been explained. I don't think it, dispro- it proves or disproves the Harry being a Horcrux theory. So wait, what What about a clemency triggers Well, the because didn't they mention in, like, the fifth or sixth book, it's due to the link between Voldemort and Harry, like, the physical, mental link between them? I think it is a link. Well, it yeah. allows for a link. It at least allows for, like, uh, I think it's called a, an axis or something exactly. like that. Exactly, and I think that that's as simple as it gets. I mean, I, I think it's okay. just because of the fact of them being mentally so they co- hadn't connected just... somehow. And physically, they hadn't been closer since the original. Well, the it's first not night. only that. It's that Voldemort wasn't in any state to, you know, I think they described him as being sort of like a spirit just wandering, trying to, you know what I mean? He wasn't all oh, that wait. powerful. Oh, wait, never mind. This is all ruined. Uh... A a listener rebuttal is or a thousand listener rebuttalers were going to send in their rebuttals. I uh, the first time Harry's scar hurts is at the opening banquet with Snape right. Yeah, that's was, why. I'm okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay, this is okay. Then this <laughs> yeah. is a little tainted a little. the way I presented it. But <laughs> the first uh, time but ever. <laughs> was, was there anything? Okay, so it, it wasn't the first time ever. Okay, it was the second time ever. Maybe you tricked but, us. You know, you tricked us. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, but. Basically speaking, it's still a good conversation that we're having about this whole scar entity thing because at least then he know like it was a direct thing that we saw that really triggered exactly, it. The scar. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Screw it. Well, I thought whenever you said that, I thought that maybe it said something the first time about his head just hurting. I couldn't remember if it was specifically referencing his scar or not. In the movie, it's so, definitely a scar. But then again, in so the movie, I was like, okay, yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> forget it. Okay, but I didn't – in the summarized thing – I fail. I'm sorry. I fail at summarizing. Um, we, we forgot to mention – okay, yeah, they get the detention and it's in the Forbidden Forest and they you – know, Filch leads them out one night and talks about all the old punishments and crap and how they were so much better, blah, blah. Um, and then you know they go into the forest with Hagrid and they split up. Now, what happens is Hagrid establishes that they split up into two groups, Hagrid and – I guess it's Fa- no Fang and Neville, and then ha- Hagrid, Hermione, and Harry. They reorganize the a little bit later. Okay. And he well, says, "Draco went with Draco went with Neville originally at, at first, yeah, right." And yeah. so he said, "Okay, we're in search of this unicorn that's been injured." And he says, "Well, if you find it, um, use shoot up green sparks, and we will see it and come find you." Uh, but if something happens, and you should either be attacked or in danger, send up red sparks. Now. This whole sparks with the wands thing, how do you guys think this works? I mean, when Harry first got his wand, it, you know, shot out 
red and gold sparks, which probably just means Gryffindor. But later in the series, like in Goblet of Fire and things, they were supposed to send out like red sparks to to be found then too. So is there like a spell or, or like because there's a difference between red and green sparks, like is there a different spell for for I don't sending think out it's... different sparks or you, like how does that even done? Sparks leads me to believe that it's sort of like a backfire, like a sort of like a mistake. And it it just I think it's one of those just natural things. I don't think they were taught that. I don't think there's like a specific spell. I oh. think that when you first start playing with your, you know, with the wand, you start causing sparks as a result of, you know, like so misfiring a spell or something. They... So it's something like you just have to think red, you yeah, know, something and then, like that. And then... I, or perhaps, I mean, or perhaps it could be a spell, but I don't think it's all that. In Goblet of Fire, I was just watching Goblet of Fire, and he says a spell, but I can't... Yeah, he I says curriculum, oh, yeah. but I don't think that was ever mentioned in the books, ever. Anytime, anytime they talk about sending up sparks, it just says Harry sent up red sparks. Um, either it's just something as natural as walking, you don't really have to command your leg to walk, um, mm. or there's just a spell and JKR didn't really deem it all that important of mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to, uh, look up curriculum if that means anything, but I don't think that... I know, think it's supposed to mean danger. Oh, peril. Peril. Yeah. Like coming from para, the Latin something meaning something. I'm in Latin too. Don't bother me. Um, <laughs> so... Like this whole well, lumos, <laughs> l- l- like to to to. L- I mean, don't bother me because it's only Latin too. It's not like Latin. Never mind. Um, I'm a bad student. So, <laughs> but lumos, lumos, to light up your wand, you need a spell. But sparks seems like it would be different and less less spell needing. So let me ask you guys: the centaur comes after the sparks go up. Yeah, the first time sparks are sent up, it's just a warning because I, it's, it's a false warning because Draco scares Neville. And stuff, and then they change their groups, and Draco's with Harry and Fang, and her, and Hermione is with Neville and Hagrid, and which is completely I, different from the movie. They, yeah, they don't do the whole yeah. first part. Well, Neville's not even in the woods with them in the movie. Is right. it? It's not even. Is it Ron? Like, where does yeah, Ron, it's Ron. It's Ron. 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 And it's completely different. Like, I was reading the book, and I I was like, wait, why is Ron not here? And you know, why is he staying behind? But. So, you know, Harry finds Voldemort and gets scared off and this whole centaur comes and, you know, scares him off. And he asks, you know, eventually he asks, I don't know how soon it is, but he, all the centaurs, except for friends, seem to keep asking Hagrid, do they teach up at the school? Like, they do. They, they ask that at least two or three times. They're like, do they teach up at the school? And that's a funny question. Like, what else would they do at the school? Or, you know, the centaurs, the centaurs seem like accomplished people who are belittling, you know, human efforts. But I related to Professor Quirk, uh, sorry, Professor Kirk from uh, Narnia series saying, you know, what do they teach in schools these days? I don't know. I kind of took it as um, them mocking humans just because they think that they're more superior in every way. Um and I'm sure that that comes from centuries upon centuries of mistreatment and discrimination. Oh. So I just took it as um, Bane and the other centaurs being obnoxious, really. Now let's move on to something about divination. Right in book one, Hermione says, McGonagall hates divination, and she uses that to say divination is crap. But 
this is curious because even before we meet Professor Trelawney and, and even before all the books about McGonagall's trying to discredit Trelawney and thinking she's a fraud and she is, but why does McGonagall hate divination? Like this is mentioned – sorry, in book one that McGonagall hates divination. I just think that – but McGonagall doesn't know about the prophecy. Well, you, you want to know the impression I got? Sure. I got the impression that divination should be left to – like the centaurs, like the magical creatures. It it gave me the sense that very few wizards are actually capable of doing it correctly. And therefore, there are a lot of wizards well, that... That's true. I mean, it's one of those unsure things that allow people to exploit it. You know, if I don't know what I'm doing as a wizard, hey, why not pick up divination? I can completely, you know lie about what's going to happen and Uh, that's true well i mean we've found out that trelawney actually can't do anything uh useful with divination except when she's you know in that trance um apparently her great seer ancestor could but instead of mcgonagall saying she hates you know when humans do it or instead of it just saying mcgonagall doesn't believe in trelawney you know mcgonagall does that thing in book three where she goes out and says how divination itself is just interpretation and, and kind of crap. So do you think that, that like she doesn't like divination because it's imprecise and just for that reason? Or do you think like I mean, we know she doesn't know anything about the prophecy or, or, well, or anything. No, like that. well I think I think that she doesn't like it because of um oh, of, of, of the... its misuse, its potential. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Good point, Kev. I know I I just yeah, I just felt she had like some kind of personal connection with divination. I mean because she scorns it like crazy. So, but I think it makes sense that it's just something very able to abuse. I think she's very education minded and she questions what this could possibly add to the value of these children's education. I think that's accurate. Uh, cuz Mike, if you realize, I mean, in Julius Caesar and in fact pretty much everything uh, that involves a prophecy, the person, the the, the fate you know, the, the the prophesized event comes true even if they try not to make it true. Well, that goes back to the whole part of because you know what it said, you try to yeah. do everything possible to prevent it and it ends up happening as a result of the events you took. Which sucks. <laughs> so finally in closing, I, I think unless, you know, you guys have notes, which case that would be great to bring him up, uh, Dumbledore returns Harry's cloak to him. He says just in case. It's, it's, it's attached to a note. So – if Dumbledore didn't know about the tension and assuming all that stuff and assuming he didn't put Harry out in the forest on purpose, um, personally I feel Dumbledore actually arranged for that detention to be in the forest or something like that, but that's just, just my own idea. He returns his cloak to him. So why would he – you know, that's like saying go get into mischief. It really truly really <laughs> is. But he's saying it in such a way just in case that, that it seems like he understands Harry's need to – Poke no, I think it's bit. because it was his dad's, so it's sort of like a close possession yeah, of, his, uh, of his. Yeah, but why just in case then? Well, just in case well of I what? mean, it's a very powerful defense you're giving him. You have to realize that being invisible is one of the greatest defenses you can give someone. If someone's breaking into your house and you know that they're not capable of detecting the cloak, you just put it over yourself and, hey, the house is empty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's so, true. So, I mean, just in case, I believe that Dumbledore was referring to the fact that just in case... Voldemort pops up you in your dormitory? ...enter into a situation that... Exactly. It would have been nice to have that before the detention, but... 
Yeah, that's exactly. Okay. Well, that's okay, but it's cool because Dumbledore found the cloak to begin with. Like, I'm I think not it surprised. was wasn't it, wasn't it like passed to him by the Potters? Well, we were discussing that a couple episodes ago, weren't we? Like, who? Yeah, because yeah, like it's ironic that you should mention the fact that if you were in your house with an invisibility cloak, somebody could say the house was empty because that's exactly what happened with Fidelius Charm, uh, it, or what would what was supposed to happen. And then, you know, Pettigrew snitched and Voldemort went to their house. But if they still had the invisibility cloak, he could still find the house open right. or, or empty. And they didn't because they passed it to Dumbledore for some reason before they uh, before they went into hiding. Yeah, but we also argued how Voldemort could probably see through it. And... See through, yeah. yeah. Well, if Dumbledore can, then it, it seems appropriate that another powerful wizard and might as well be Voldemort considering. But... The final thing is that I want to mention with this chapter is uh, the centaurs, and <laughs> they're 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 really men slash horses of few words. Uh, their choice words, I believe, in this chapter are "Mars is bright tonight" and "The forest hides many secrets." So I think when we're at Lumos, we should totally play "Whose line is it anyway?" and play that one game where they can where they have <laughs> several characters who only say one line, and two, and two of us should only be able to say "Mars is bright tonight" and "The forest hides many secrets" and act out a whole scene. That does it for chapter by chapter. Good work, Eric. <laughs> you saved us. No. Well, yes. Anyway, moving along to this week's Gimme a Butterbeer. Ben is not with us this week. However, he has taken the liberty. This is how much he loves the listeners. He has taken the liberty to record it for us. Um, He's actually in Nebraska this week visiting his grandparents. Take it away, Benjamin Shane. I received an overwhelming response to last week's topic. I would like to take the time now to clear something up. In last week's episode, when I weighed in on the debate over Harry Potter and Christianity, many people were upset because I stereotyped Christians. This is my mistake. I truly was not intending to convey that stereotype. I apologize to anyone that I offended or alienated. Last week's topic actually helped to spawn this week's discrimination and Harry Potter. Throughout the entire Harry Potter series, Joe's work has displayed many underlying moral lessons and conflicts that are in society. Early on, Harry learns that the conflicts with racism in the muggle world actually spread over to the wizarding world. Rather than the bigotry spawning from someone's race, it comes from their magical denomination. In the HP world, whether someone is half-blood, muggle-born, or full-blood oftentimes determines their social status in the eyes of certain people. Many stereotypes exist throughout the series. All giants are baby-eating human bulldozers. All Slytherins are evil and aspire to join Lord, Lord Voldemort. And all Hufflepuffs are lacking in brains and are worthless. Stereotypes similar to these are quite prevalent in society. On September 11, 2001, the United States was sucker-punched by the terrorist organization known as Al-Qaeda. Following 9-11, the U.S. banded together like never before. There was an outcry of support for the Americans who lost loved ones on that day and for the U.S. government. Unfortunately, the attacks on the World Trade Centers that fateful day in September led to a negative stigma towards the Muslim population in the United States. All of a sudden, anyone with a darker complexion is automatically stereotyped as a terrorist. There are also many stereotypes in politics. If you're a Democrat, you automatically hate Bush, support abortion, and are against the death penalty. If you're a Republican, you're evil, have low ethical standards, and support the death penalty. Not all Democrats and Republicans really believe this way. Stereotypes never really encompass the whole of the population. In Harry's world, all of the Slytherins who joined the Death Eaters get all the attention, while those who may have performed good deeds get ignored. 
on 9-11, a few radical anti-Americans that represent an extremely small percentage of the Islamic population made a poor decision. The rest of the people of Arabian descent should, should not be forced to pay the price. So in short, we're all equals here. Whether you're African-American, Caucasian, Arabian, Slytherin, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, or Hufflepuff, it's important to remember that it's not the group that makes you who you are. It's you. So I'm Ben Shane, and I say, give me a butterbeer. I'm Eric Skull. I say bravo, Ben Shane. Yeah. That was excellent, yeah. I love this segment. <laughs> does anyone else notice how Ben's becoming more and more professional with the way he does these? He yeah. Is, uh, he mm-hmm. really is. One of, one of the things uh, – well, the thing that Ben's talking about is you know racism and uh, prejudice in, in the series. Um, but I think I'm probably a little bit correct in saying that racism in the whole series in general kind of really took place in the first two books – or, or, or definitely in the, in the second book as as a prominent theme, and then w- with the exception of house elves, you know, even it, racism, like or well, prejudice, Pre- prejudice, it, like okay. did prejudice only really? Well, there's a difference. Okay, good point. But it only seems that prejudice really happened earlier in the series when the whole series as a whole felt l- like more childish. So it it kind of makes prejudice in general seem like almost. Like it's said that there's prejudice, but it's not really like a real occurrence. Like we're f- like in book six, we're getting all these real world events happening, but none of them that I know of, at least, like really have to do with prejudice. With the exception of the house elves, which it seems like only Hermione is defending them, it doesn't seem like they're being. You know, not many people are saying house elves belong in the kitchen, but there just aren't any people saying they don't. Like. Prejudice, in other words, I'm saying prejudice, while it may encompass the series, it doesn't seem to be realistic, like, or realistically existent in Harry's world as of book six. It's not, is like, it's got to be still there. There's still got to be wizards who believe that they're better for being pureblood, but we just don't see any of that, so it makes it seem like it was just Lucius Malvoy in book two. Wouldn't you agree, though, that the, a huge basis for the war and for Voldemort's, um, beliefs is prejudice i mean in goblet of fire we had that muggle family being tortured at the quidditch world cup and there were attacks on muggle towns in half-blood prince i think that a big part of this war is the fact that voldemort is trying to prove that pure-blooded wizards have um superiority over everyone else which is ironic because he's half-blood but well yeah but that's the also the thing about voldemort is why the black family didn't like voldemort was they thought he was too fanatical they supported the idea of pure bloods being higher but voldemort goes after muggles you know more he he would target muggles and half-bloods and things like that i think voldemort would kill everybody who's not him you know voldemort just goes all out and and really He's he's out to destroy everybody, you know. And, and yeah, but at the same time, you have to remember his comments about his filthy Muggle father. Yeah, the whole reason why his father was filthy was because he was Muggle, yeah. not because he. So, but although yes, he's not indiscriminate on or who he kills, um, he is in the fact that he's he hates Muggles. But so Voldemort is clearly worried about well. Not just muggles too. We have to like somehow talk about half bloods and and people less like people like but yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. Like he in his killing, although he seems very 
hey, who cares who I'm killing? I'm just killing someone. He has, he has specific hates against each of the people he kills because of a prejudice. He kills muggles because they're muggles. Not because, you know, he kills half-bloods because they're half-bloods. You know what I'm saying? I'm wondering if his followers do, like, do... I mean, his followers want, are, are looking for some fun. I mean, a lot of them do. They, like, I mean, people like Lucius Malfoy will use the word mudblood, and they'll use it freely just to do it, just to make people feel bad, just to, you know, belittle people and, and make themselves higher. Um, but is it really used to kill people? Is it really, I mean... We've seen throughout, I guess, the Hogwarts history, you know, Slytherin, Salazar, felt that, you know, only purebloods. And, and there it was a big deal. But I, I'm questioning whether, you know, all this prejudice. I mean, like the house elves thing is probably the, the closest example of prejudice that we can use that's current in the Harry Potter series. But even then, like I said, it's only really Hermione who feels any way in particular about Well, that's that. because Hermione experiences the prejudice firsthand. I think that a lot of the time when you see that yourself, it sort of makes you kind of encompass it more, I suppose. Not to mention just because no one else notices it doesn't mean there's no prejudice. I agree. I, in fact, that that's the truth. Eric, I agree with you. Book two was probably the biggest book in terms of the theme being all about prejudice, but I think it's something that kind of pervades the entire series. Just because what Laura was saying before, Hermione... Every single book, almost, any chance Draco gets to point out that she's a mudblood, he does. And it, it's something that never goes away, and I think Joe tries to remind us of that, that it's always going to be there no matter what. Okay. You know so, something, so even, yeah. something interesting that I noticed in Goblet of Fire, whenever they were running from the Death Eaters and they ran into Draco in the woods, um, Draco said something like, you might want to keep running, you don't want them to see her. And Harry said, what are you talking about? She's a witch, too. And Draco said, what, you think they can't, you know, tell a mudblood out from the rest of us? What exactly is the distinguishing factor that makes someone able to look at someone of muggle parentage? I think it's got to be common knowledge. It's got to be something like common knowledge because, I mean, well, pure blood, that's the thing, too. Like, mud blood, I don't know how they tell, but pure blood, I think they could tell the difference between pure blood and... Half blood well, in them because of like the name of family. Exactly, that that's what I was gonna say. I mean, it's sort of like um, Bush or Kennedy. Everyone knows yeah. who Kennedy is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And most people know who his family is. So it it is probably very similar in the sense that. So if you don't have a name like Kennedy, or then... no, but it's not that. It's a common knowledge family name and whenever any of the Kennedys has a child everyone knows about it yeah but hold up mm -hmm. it's not like the Death Eaters are going to be like excuse me what's your name if they don't know who they are yeah I mean when they're Andrew has a valid point when uh, they're running through the forest yeah. I think Draco's just talk because it, right, when, exactly. when they're running through the forest they're not going to you yeah. know they're not going to see this light above Hermione's head and yeah. say ooh mudblood let's kill her you know so I I think it's a case of just Draco talking, but is Stan Shunpike, isn't the point of Stan Shunpike getting thrown into jail, wasn't he a pureblood? Or wasn't he something like that where, like, the government doesn't even care, like, who's pureblood and who's not, because they just needed, needed someone to lock up and throw better. But I thought it was pointed out somewhere that he was, like, even a pureblood and he was getting treated like crap. 
I'm not I sure could be ever, entirely wrong. I'm not sure it ever pointed out what type of blood he was. Um, okay. I just thought it was kind of an interesting point because when you think about sort of mindless killings that happen all over the world, like when you think about the genocide that happened in Rwanda in the 90s, you had the Hutus and the Tutsis, and you really couldn't tell all that much of a difference between them because they had, you know, they'd gotten married over the years and they'd had children, but for some reason they were able to see the differences that no one else could see, and they were killing each other. And it just seems like there are certain times, especially when Death Eaters get together, in large groups where they're just going out and they're killing anyone who they think remotely looks muggle-born or half-blood or is just someone they don't even recognize as being part of a pure-blooded family. All right, so that concludes this week's Give Me a Butterbeer. Thank you, Ben. Ben will be back next week with another exciting edition. And um, if you have any ideas for something he should get a butterbeer about, uh, email them to ben at staff.mugglenet.com. Thank you. Um, now let's do a quick dueling club, and then we will hit up the voicemails. This week's dueling club comes from Anthony from West Virginia, from Kaiser, West Virginia, to be exact. He asks, who would win in a duel, Mrs. Weasley versus Umbridge? Now you got, you got two women here, and Mrs. Weasley, from what we've seen, she knows her, she knows her housekeeping spells, but Umbridge, we haven't seen much magic out of her. Did, did we use her in a dueling club? Once before, yep, against McGonagall. I can't remember. Like, uh, what did we Who say won? about Umbridge? She had. We haven't seen enough, a lot of magic out of her. Surely, based on the fact that we haven't seen all that much magic out of Umbridge, we can assume that she's incompetent, which I think is a characteristic that she clearly exhibited in Order of the Phoenix. Um, and based on that, I would have to say that Mrs. Weasley would totally own her. And Mrs. Weasley is pretty tough. But the thing yeah. is, too, um, yeah, she yeah, Mrs. Is. Weasley is tough and especially defensive of her kids and her young. But could Umbridge just sanction, like, this government SWAT team to take out Mrs. Weasley? Is that probable? She has the power of the government. Well, politically, yes, but I think we're talking about just a duel. This isn't a, this isn't a uh, political could she debate. she not sanction? Spells. Mrs. Weasley, everyone? Definitely Mrs. Weasley. Especially if her kids were involved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Umbridge got, has true. a little following. Yeah, too that's now. true. Don't get between a mother and her kids. You're, oh, wait you're a second. Umbridge has a fo- If you're allowed to bring your kids in, Umbridge has a following with uh, Draco. And no, I, a few no, other I mean, like, if the fight was over the kids, like, you know. Oh, oh, yes. The kids yes, were involved yes, yes. somehow in the fight, you know. Let's move on to the general voicemail questions this week. Our first voicemail comes from a caller who questions Fudge's opinions on Voldemort coming back. Hi, Muzzlecast. My name is Laura, and I'm calling from Chicago. I have a question about Cornelius Fudge's reaction to Voldemort's return in Goblet of Fire. Back in Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 10, in the Three Broomsticks, Fudge says, I must say, you know who alone and friendless is one thing, but give him back his most devoted servant, and I shudder to think how quickly he'll rise again. What struck me was that Fudge actually said how quickly he'll rise again. Fudge knows that Voldemort has a great chance of coming back, so why is he so surprised and quick to, to deny it when it happens? I found it surprising that merely a year and a half before Voldemort actually rises again, he can admit to it. Just want to know what you thought. Thanks. Hey, Laura, it's you from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I love your name, which is really cool because I used to live in Chicago, but awesome. Really? Um, yeah. Your parents were like, let's be Hicks. 
No, how about my dad's job was like, hey, you get to go live in Texas. <laughs> Wait, you live in Texas? I did. And oh, then I did. moved yeah, here. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, and then, then they said, let's be hicks, moved east. I just think it's because it's easier, it's easier to believe something isn't true. Yeah, I think it's just a lot easier for Fudge to deny something than have to kind of take the precautions that would be required if you he thought Voldemort things. was making a return. I think it was very easy for him to make speculation when it wasn't true, but, you know, all of a sudden when, you know, it was becoming reality, he's he was just very hesitant to come out with it. To quote Brad Pitt, how well do you know yourself if you've never been in a fight? Oh, that was from Fight Club. You know, but um, anyway, the question is how well do you know yourself? You can say, oh yeah, you know, I shuddered. I'm afraid of Voldemort, but we're going to have to take precautions. And when it actually happens, you don't do that. You don't believe it because it's much easier. It's a lot, you know, you're not exactly a bad person for doing it, but you're not right. It just shows how much of a corrupt leader he is and how... I, I just can't believe they haven't been able to put someone new in by now. I mean, he must have done some of this in the past. He can't be just Completely starting to, to stink now. Yeah. At the same time, it's what's right and what's easy. It was easier for Fudge to believe, to disbelieve Dumbledore, even though it was stupid for him to disbelieve Dumbledore, because Dumbledore is, you know, the man. What was the part about the most trusted servant? Um, when he said something about, it's I shudder to think... What would happen if Voldemort got his most trusted servant back? It could mean his... I think they were referring to Sirius, though, weren't they? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, they were, but that's the problem. Because, because, because of the wonderful things he does. No, um, because that Dumbledore was now saying, instead of, you know, that's another thing. Fudge was saying, oh, it would be horrible if Sirius Black, his most faithful servant, turned back to Voldemort. Now, Dumbledore, according to Dumbledore, Voldemort's faithful servant is Wormtail. And even when Wormtail was alive, when, even when Pettigrew was alive in Fudge's mind, he was this weak, pathetic thing, you know. So if he turned out to be, uh, you know, Voldemort's faithful servant, even if Fudge could let it slip, and e- even if, even if, uh, yeah, but, but doesn't he use the words "most faithful servant"? Yes, but what 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 basically? So Wormtail is not. The no, but what basically story. happened is Fudge expected Sirius Black to be reunited with Voldemort. What ended up happening is Dumbledore tells Fudge that somebody who's already dead in Fudge's mind is is not only with Voldemort, but you know when when Pettigrew was alive, he wasn't much of anything either. So even if Fudge could believe that Wormtail was alive, uh, he wouldn't really believe him to be powerful enough to cause a real threat. You know. Yeah, but but I think that. For one, he was talking about Sirius in this case, which is the point. And he was because just, it's not Sirius. But but he was I know. But he was in this case. Who was it? Who was it that Voldemort greeted? Who as, was the one who said the line? Was it Dumbledore? But just think, who was the one that Voldemort greeted as one of his most faithful servants? Oh, I don't want to. That's not what the voicemail question is asking, though. Yeah, but but my point is is that Fudge was speculating, assuming that Sirius was the most faithful servant, Yeah. right? Meaning he was judging it based on Sirius's power uh-huh. as a yeah. as yeah. someone. So, so since right. it was Pettigrew that, you know, went back to Voldemort, you know, it's a completely different situation. I think Fudge... But, but I, I, I think... But who also went back to... I don't know. Remember back to Goblet of Fire. 
who got Harry into the graveyard. But that was a year in advance. What I'm saying is Fudge was basing his opinion on if it was serious going back to Voldemort. And since it were a guy who was already dead and who wasn't much something in life, it, you know, him going back to Voldemort, it's not even believable. It's not even like – so anything Fudge based on, on his fear and how fearful he would be if Voldemort were to return to power and stuff, all that stuff was just non-applicable. Because it wasn't Sirius who went back. But he didn't know that. (laughs) And he wasn't the only one to go back to Voldemort. Right, but it's all based on past events. It has nothing to do with happening. Exactly. So the next voicemail for today questions a statement from Voldemort that might help prove that Snape is actually good. Hmm. Hey, guys. It's Eugenie from Cleveland. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. If you look... In the fourth book, at the end of the chapter, you'll see that Voldemort, when he comes back to life, he talks about two two of his supporters. One who is at Hogwarts, who is helping him, who has all his time in helping him, and then one who is, he knows forever left them and will have to be destroyed. And we know the one at Hogwarts is Barty Crouch, because Barty Crouch Jr. was helping Jr. And so do you think that the second one might have been Snape, and that Voldemort thinks or knows that Snape is with Dumbledore? Okay, guys, thanks. And by the way, last episode was 40 when that guy bashed Dumbledore. It stabbed me in the heart. Bye. Uh, Jimmy, that wasn't a guy. That was a girl. <laughs> Oops. Aww. <laughs> no, I, I, I think yeah. he just meant guy as yeah. a person. So thank you, Jimmy. Um, I hope your heart's doing okay. Mine isn't. Uh, so does this, does this really... <laughs> Neither is mine. Uh, so does this email... I mean, does this quote prove that Snape is actually the I don't good think one so. that they're talking about? Because who else could it be? Who else could it be then? I don't think so either. I think it proves the exact opposite. Because Barty Crouch never went... He never went back. He was sent to Azkaban. Yeah, but technically he's on the bad side. I mean, look at Goblet of Fire. Yeah, but he said one to return. And also think about... Um, yeah, what's he his was. Name? Karkaroff was there too. And he he was killed. It's true, yeah. I don't think it proves the exact opposite, but yeah, I don't know. It's like it's one of those things. There were more than two people at Hogwarts supporters. Yeah, like who? So the whole thing is under question. Which one? Which one is the faithful one? Which one isn't the faithful one? Was Voldemort even including Snape? You know, is Snape even one of those two? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we really know. And personally, just on the whole Snape front, I mean, I have days where I go back and forth, and I'll think, you know, it's really possible that he's good, or and then I'll think, turn because around. You don't go to school. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I don't do school. I just sit around all day on my computer working on MuggleNet. But I mean, it's. I just think there's. Don't we all? There's enough evidence to go either way right now and i don't think that yeah i don't think that one quote from voldemort is going to uh prove one way or the other yeah we we don't have enough details on to speculate yeah although it would be funny if um joe (laughs) came out and went you idiots it was standing right in front of me yeah yeah sitting right there you had the quote all right so yeah this next voicemail Caller spots one advantage of Dumbledore entrusting Hagrid. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Troy from Toronto, Ontario calling. I love your show. And I was just thinking back to episode 40 when you guys brought up how Dumbledore said that he would entrust his life with Harry. I know this kind of goes back to the whole is Dumbledore alive thing, but I was just thinking that if Dumbledore was alive, Hagrid would know about it and know how this is possible. Tell me what you think. Thanks. Love your show. Bye. 
Okay, wait. Before we respond, he first says Harry, and then he says Hagrid. But I believe he meant Hagrid. Yeah, okay. because in the first movie, okay. yeah, it makes sense that he said, Ah, oh, Professor, but yep. I would trust Hagrid with my life. Yeah, it was just a, uh, you know, in nervousness. He, it's okay. So, you disagree. I think it would be cool if something happened where it turned out that Dumbledore did trust Hagrid with his life, but a, a Dumbledore doesn't fake himself. Dumbledore doesn't, like, pretend not to know things that are true, and what's true about Hagrid is that he does blurt things out when he's drunk. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. So, so, I, I would, that's the worst person to tell because you get him drunk and he'll be uh, spilling the beans on that one very quick. But And, and, and pe- people would argue that this is something particularly sensitive that not even Hagrid would say when drunk. But at the same time, I don't think – you know if Dumbledore were truly alive and – you know, he would have to fake it from everybody. He wouldn't tell Hagrid just for the sake of having someone know, you know, unless there was something specifically that Hagrid could do for Dumbledore while he was, you know, under the guise of being dead. Like, I don't think, I don't know, my opinion is that Dumbledore wouldn't tell anybody. Like, just, just to tell Hagrid just yeah, because he trusts Hagrid. Yeah, I don't Hagrid. think so either. Like, that kind of thing. Just just because he trusts Hagrid doesn't mean, he, you know, he would tell him yeah. if he were dead. Because that's such yep. a big thing. It's like, Otherwise, he should come out to Harry. If he's going to come out to Hagrid, he's got to come out to Harry. In my yeah, that was, that was, I mean, the big thing for me. Why would he tell Hagrid and not Harry? Yeah. Because everything, you know, Dumbledore has a lot to do with, or Dumbledore's absence really screws Harry in a lot of ways. So it, I don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Like, like I said, I think that Dumbledore needed to die because <laughs> it, enables Harry to go out on his own and start. Sad as it is, it's true. I hate the lone hero's journey where everybody has to die and he goes out alone. It might be true, it might be how the series is going, but I absolutely hate why everybody believes that to be true in every fantasy fiction story that isn't obscenely cute and and pointless and childish, you know, has to have everybody die. Well, not everybody dies. Well, a lot of the mentors. No, not everyone die. All I'm saying is that I think that Dumbledore Dumbledore could have just stopped could have told Harry to stop going to school and put him out on his own. He didn't have to die, but all I'm saying is that Dumbledore was holding Harry back in the sense that Harry was always under Dumbledore's protection. Nothing could happen so long as Dumbledore was in Hogwarts. Yeah. So Harry was always safe while in ha- Hogwarts. But also maybe that's the guys though. Maybe that's why Dumbledore has to if he is still alive Maybe that's why he doesn't tell Harry because Harry does need to go on his own. I don't think he would pull anything. I think that'd like be that. pretty sick. Honestly. Wait, sick? Why? Because it, but it would actually be well, worthwhile in a way because Harry would be out on his own. Yeah, and if but, Dumbledore were alive, but you have to remember Dumbledore is a mentor. If your mentor tells you, "Hey, right. you know, you've got to, um, you've got to go out on your own and do this," I'm not helping you anymore. It sends a pretty sharp message <laughs> that, hey, I think, uh, you know. I, I just don't see faking a death as something Dumbledore know. would That's do to anyone. If you want to try and lend any credibility to this argument, it's part of, I think, DumbledoreIsNotDead.com. Hagrid's actually the one who's carrying his body up to the pyre at the funeral. And I think they argue that since he's wrapped up in this cloak, you don't necessarily know if he's underneath. So I guess if you wanted to argue that Hagrid knew that he was dead, 
Um, why would you, you know, he's the one carrying the body. So they're saying that it, it's possibly the most likely person. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, that would be, the... in my mind, the only thing that would lend credibility to that argument. That's interesting. I don't think there's really anything else that you can kind of draw. I don't know. I think the up. main basis for the debate on this voicemail well, is whether or not you believe Dumbledore is dead, and I think he is, so... <laughs> sure. It, absolutely. All right, our final voicemail comes from a listener who wants to know more about technology in the Muggle world world, or maybe just the movie world. Hi, this is Andrew in Chicago, and you are absolutely my favorite podcast I subscribe to. I was wondering, when you see the um, technology, like the the um, acoustic um, LP player that they had during the dancing lessons and that, and as described in the books you've seen in the movies, it seems like it's stuck about 150 years ago in the old Victorian area. Do you think that... Um, because of magic that they don't need technology, basically, or that they just don't have enough contact with the Muggle world to absorb it. Um, and don't you think that the Muggleborns and uh, people who are raised in mixed families would have access to the technology? And why would they not use it? Uh, and again, thanks so much. Hey, Andrew, it's you in Chicago. Yeah, our twins. Our twins live in Chicago. How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> our, our twins all live in Chicago. <laughs> I know. Yes. Eric in Chicago, call us. Micah in Chicago. Kevin in Chicago. Um, was the LP player in the book? Did he say it was in the book? I couldn't hear what he was saying. Dancing lessons in general, I think. I don't know. I think Dumbledore just has a Victorian fetish. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> the fat lady, watch out. The- <laughs> 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 Fat lady, watch out. That's the title of this episode. That is so the title of this episode. Fat lady, watch out. Make it happen. Fat lady, watch out. All right. Um, So. I'm done. I think they just see no purpose in it because there's no. Like, 10 years ago, who would have... Well, not 10, maybe like 15 years ago. Who would have said, oh, what's the purpose of getting computer on the computer to write like letters to each other? There was just... No one saw it. And I don't think they see it in the school, and it probably just doesn't even cross their minds. Because, yeah, um, in my opinion... I, it might not, not a pigeon. In my opinion, I think that magic is a cooler technology than our muggle technology. It is. And it's like, I don't think it's, it's not that they, wizards don't have access to muggle technology. I don't think that's, but apparently the. Although uh, they do make Harry Potter iPods now, so they're yeah, getting somewhere. No, but like the overhead projector in the third movie, I mean, that kind of thing, like wizards can get a hold of muggle equipment if they want to, I think. And I, according to Joe, they have something that's a lot better than the internet. And I don't know what that was again, but it could have been something else. Introduced, could have not been. But they already have these other things, other ways of doing things, and it's like I don't think they necessarily are blocked access from new Muggle technology. I think I just think it's just goes the Victorian stuff we see, like the LP player and that kind of thing. I just think it enhances the uh, the theme and and you know the the, the uh, I guess the palette of the movies, which is just the the whole. You know, it fits the the castle thing like Hogwarts. Like if you were, it fits the castle. There's not going to be like a stereo sound system, you know, except for the weird sisters. I uh, I just think it fits the whole castle. Well, thing. also we know that magic drives electrical uh, yeah, devices that. haywire, so it might be kind of hard to have something yeah. like that if you're a wizard. 
So let's wrap up this week's show with Chicken Soup for the Muggle Cast Soul. We didn't do one last week, um, so we're going to do two this week. Uh, the first one comes from Carrie16 of Rock Vegas, Florida. She writes, I have a great, great fear of flying. And just last week, I had to fly from Orlando, Florida to, to North Carolina. It's only an hour and a half flight, but it really helped to listen to MuggleCast. I even found myself laughing a couple of times, which is not, which ended up in getting odd looks from those around me. Anyway, thanks, Aww. Carrie. Oh, I do want to respond to this a bit because Why? you you've never been on a plane, Andrew, and yes. honestly, I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Am I gonna have to listen to MuggleCast? <laughs> Tanner, Tanner, you're uh, I'm not a big Michael? fan of flying. Oh, I actually haven't flown. I love heights. Since oh, yeah, Micah, you were trying to get me to fly with you because you're like... No, but I'm going to Vegas in about a week or so and oh. uh, I haven't been on a plane in a while, so I think I'm bringing MuggleCast along. Our second one comes from Rachel13 of Austin, Texas. She writes, A few days ago we got exam grades back and I don't know what happened, but I didn't pass the math part and was put into an extra math class. I was upset and very angry at the test grader people. <laughs> test grader people. In tears, I went up to my room and started to cry. Well, I didn't notice that I had hit the play button on my iPod. I noticed that MuggleCast was playing, so I walked over and put my headphones on and started to listen. An hour later, I found myself laughing to Jamie's joke of the day and other fun stuff. What seemed like the world had to end, I was back to myself in about five minutes after the show had ended. Aww. So you, there you go. Whether you're afraid of flying or you get a bad grade on a test and you have to take an extra math class. No, I mean, I think that any distraction, though, this is media. This is entertainment. Movies, video games, <laughs> music, podcasts. I know, but see, the difference between this and movies and music and video games, this is free. <laughs> Good point. For uh, now. Actually, well, I got to This is free quality for entertainment. Yeah, for now. For now. Oh, but, God, um, don't say a, a, that. Anyway... For uh, now, <laughs> what do you suggest? You're uh, cursing our future. Yeah, you know. our, our everyone's gonna future. freak out. No, but any distraction is is good, and I think if we help people feel better about their test grades, that's cool. Yeah, very true. Now all we have left to do is help them pass their tests. Yeah. <laughs> the, remedial math with Kevin Stick. Yes. Oh yeah, I'm with sure I math real <laughs> all of you. That would be you honestly know, a podcast that. hour to remember. <laughs> you can teach it as a seminar at Lumos. Oh God! There you go. If I have two cauldrons, <laughs> I can just empty. imagine the whole audience sleeping. You know. Like. <laughs> I just wanted to thank uh, those people who made a little birthday card for me for my birthday. Uh, they are Becky, Jessica, Kelly, Laura, Laura. It was you from Chicago. Dana. <laughs> oh no! Dana, Becky, <laughs> Keisha. Sorry if I pronouncing any names wrong here. Natalie, Taryn, Meslo, Claire, Keela, Rashmi, Lauren, Lisa, Clarissa, and Catherine. Catherine actually goes to my school. She put the um, the card together on the MuggleCast fan forums over at MuggleCastFan.net. Does everyone know that you're actually driving now? Oh, yeah. By the way, everyone, I'm driving now. <laughs> um, so stay I'm off so... the roads. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, no. Stay off the roads. Dude, 100,000 people said that to no, me. Yeah, it. but see, this is the difference. Where are you from, Eric? Pennsylvania. Okay, <laughs> and where is start. Andrew from? New Don't Jersey. even start. There you go. Don't That's a major start. difference. Now, Rhode Island Rhode Island has actually the most uneducated drivers. I was really? just reading the other day. Yeah, right. But anyway, I'm still working on getting a MuggleCast mobile. 
Hey, I just had this great idea. What if we use some of the MuggleCast money to let me buy a MuggleCast uh, license plate? Um, be like it should M-G-G- only cost $25. M-E-G-L-C-S-T. You can raise that babysitting. Yeah. It only costs $25 for a vanity plate. If there's, if there's MuggleCast money, we're not using it to buy you a license plate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or like a car. <laughs> if there's MuggleCast if, if money. There's... I mean, it's not like we need any of it for Lumos to pay for food or anything, so I thought maybe we could... Easy for that. Yeah, because I was just planning on sleeping out on the sidewalk. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Alright, so on that note, on that ugly note, where I just upset everyone, I think that does wrap up MongoCast episode 41. We'll see everyone next week for episode 42. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Kevin Steck. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Good night, boys and girls. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) The separate entity. (laughs) Um... Waiting for the motorcycle to go by. <laughs> uh, Are you riding a motorcycle? <laughs> yes, yes wow. I am. Recording from a motorcycle. It's the first time <laughs> this has been done. What yeah. happened to I mean, Andrew? Perhaps, I mean, it's not... Did Andrew get kicked out? <laughs> I... gonna yeah, use that as a I was line. sitting oh here God. like, I think we lost somebody. <laughs> what happened to Andrew? We've lost our leader. It's not my connection this turn time. Our leader's gone. Pick up Andrew. Follow User not on the <gasps> lost no! Here. Everyone the keep recording. I'm going to call must have him. Tripped the line. Oh, you know, you know what we should do. What we should do is we should give out a digit of his phone number each time he gets disconnected. <laughs> he gets disconnected. Okay, here one sec. Let me call. <laughs>